Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. This is part two of an ongoing conversation that I'm having, I think, uh, with Karen Doherty. She's a psychotherapist. She's a filmmaker. Uh, she's someone who has a lot to say about a whole lot of things. And uh, we have a little bit of fun in this as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that Karen's going to be writing a book soon. And uh, she's not sure what it's about yet. But uh, this will be an ongoing, I think, uh, conversation we're going to have for some uh, time. She believes that, quote, understanding your feelings and behaviors is the first step towards making positive, lasting change to rediscovering your authentic self and to developing true resilience, close quote. Uh, we talk about feelings and about babies and about infant communication. We talk about poetry and William Blake and about certainty and uncertainty and about existential angst. Uh, we get into a whole lot of different topics in this conversation and I trust that you will uh, see it through. Um, Karen is a uh, an, an, uh, uh, an interesting guest and uh, an engaging um, conversationalist and somebody that I'm uh, having the pleasure of getting to know a little bit more through uh, through a variety of different ways. And so uh, Karen Doherty is coming right up, davidpecklive.com for more uh, information about my own podcasting, writing, and also uh, you can help support Face to Face through patreon.com. And don't forget rabble.ca too for more uh, information about other podcasts, uh, not only myself, but others as well. Uh, stay tuned for Karen Doherty. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a uh, uh, returning guest today, Karen Doherty, is here with us today to talk about a whole lot of things, I think. And uh, for those of you who have listened to our conversation, I, wow, a year ago now, maybe? Maybe, yeah. It might even be longer. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Karen, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure. And you're going to tell us where you're coming from just, just this morning, I think. Yes. Yeah. So Friday mornings, um, I uh, do what um, for me is part of my training, which is infant observation. 
So as a, as a candidate in psychoanalysis and as a therapist, infant observation is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't work with children. I don't work with babies. But I go once a week to see this baby in the family. And this is from before the baby was born. So the baby now is four months old. When you say the family, a family or your family? Not my family, a family. Um, And uh, and I go, I've been going once every week for one hour and I go and I observe. Hmm. And I've been watching the baby from in utero basically um, to now. uh, And the baby, how the baby is in the family, how the baby's mind unfolds, the interactions in the family, the baby's role in the family. Uh, it's been so helpful, and it's particularly helpful for me right now, not just in my own um, practice, but because I'm working on another film with Beatrice Beebe. We spoke about the mm-hmm. film that I was working on last time, which uh, is done and sort of uh, online. We're working on another film now about um, infant research and adult treatment. So the implications of um, what we know from watching babies from our infant research and how we can extrapolate what we can use from that observation of a mother and a baby in adult treatment. So there are a whole bunch of things that we... So are you saying, Karen, that had I been more well-observed as a kid, I'd be more well-balanced today? (laughs) I am not saying that. (laughs) There'd be new forms of treatment? No, not saying it. Um, no, I mean, I don't think the baby's benefiting from my observation because it's not an intervention. I'm just watching. Right. So With the hope of intervening no, in there's an adult's no, life at some point. Or no? In, a, in an so, adult's life? So the idea being, obviously, I, I suppose as an experiment on its own, it's probably uh, valuable. I would imagine the data that you'd probably draw from that. But is the idea that that would then help not this particular person, no. but yeah. might help others from this kind of, you say you know, infant research and adult treatment. Yeah, so basically, you know, it all starts there, right, in the first few months of life, like Mm. how we learn Mm. to relate, Mm. how we learn what the expectations that we come to have of our relationships. It's a great line. It all starts there. It all starts. It does. Yeah, it really does. And that's what Beatrice's, Beatrice Beebe's work at Columbia um, shows us. She's been watching uh, mothers and infants uh, interact for 40 years. She's been filming it and then doing the frame-by-frame analysis of the dyadic interactions. And she can predict from two and a half minutes of face-to-face play, as we discussed, the attachment style of of an infant at one year. And from one year, we can predict the attachment style in in young adults. So if it's going to be a secure attachment or one of the types of insecure attachment, anxious or, you know, sort of the, the, the different types of anxious attachment. So I happen to be observing a, um, a very secure family, which is uh, quite delightful for me and sometimes a bit painful too, hmm. you know, to see it go so beautifully and so well. Right. It can be painful. I guess, yeah, as a, as a therapist over the years, I guess you've seen some pretty uh, difficult situations and you yeah. kind of want to yeah. almost uh, uh, put that up on the screen for people to watch, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah, yeah. See, this is, you know, it's so, so funny. So, have you seen Logan yet? No. I don't know if you're a superhero fan in any way, shape, or form. I am. But, but Logan mm-hmm. is a real shift away. And there is a moment, and now that I've mentioned it, I won't say any more, but mm-hmm. there is a moment where there's an aha moment for, for the Wolverine, and he goes, wow, this is what it's meant to be like. Mm-hmm. It's really, I'm getting shivers, actually. Like, yeah. It's a beautiful moment. This is how it could this be. This is how it could be. Which is a moment of mourning. 
It really is. And, yeah. and it's such an important thing for all of us to do. And, and that's one of the things we're trying to help our patients do is sort of mourn the loss, mm. right, of mm -hmm. how, of the hope that it could have been different, right, that it could be different. And it can be different for people, mm -hmm. but the past can't be different, right? The past oh, can't yeah. be different. No, you can't. You mm -hmm. can't do anything about it. That's for sure. Are uh, it, that, that's what you mean, right? Like you can't. You can't go back and change it. Is what you're. Suggesting. You can't go back yeah. and change yeah. it. But yeah. what you can do, um, really, when I'm talking about the implications of uh, infant research on adult treatment, I'm actually talking about the way that we sit with a patient. It's not so much you're thinking, oh, what happened to this person in their babyhood. That's certainly part of what. Um, you know, treatment, but you can't really ever know what you can, you know, you can find out certain kinds of data, but we're not making a documentary film about the person, right? right? We're, right, we're, right. we're trying to understand what it means for that person to be in a relationship and what goes wrong for them in relationships very often. So really it's about um, how to be with someone. Hmm. So, so you're thinking about how mothers are with babies and how they tune into their babies the that how they hold their babies um, uh, mentally, how they hold their babies in mind, how they give space, the the um, nonverbal communication, so body language, space, silence, all that stuff, sounds. Um, those are the things that 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 we learn from watching mothers and babies, because mothers and babies and patients and therapists, right, therapists and patients, um, have a lot in common in terms of their way of relating. So of I think we talked last time about face to face, yes, right? Yeah, the name absolutely. of your yeah. and and how looking and looking away, which is the subject of the last film that I did, um, is very important. Like we need to look away to downregulate. Babies do and we all do. And it's the only time that you can really kind of keep someone's gaze for longer than a few seconds, six to eight seconds before looking away, right. is if you're um, making love or fighting, or if you're a mother with your baby, or if you're a therapist with your patient. Hmm. So therapists and mothers have that in common. They can look without looking away. Interesting degrees of intimacy. Mm -hmm. It is in about very intimacy. very different contexts. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It is about intimacy, but also... It can be intrusive, right? So and and overstimulating, and so how to give people the space while you're looking? People need to look away. Some patients can't look at all. That's why the couches can be very helpful. Uh, is this why supposedly, and I that's capital S, I think, uh, boys men are supposed to be able to talk more when they're driving in a car because <laughs> they don't actually have to look at each other. <laughs> yes, they're constantly looking away. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I've just I must have read that recently or something. Mm -hmm. that, uh, and mm -hmm. with my, you know, as my son gets a bit older and my daughter, I mean, it's becoming more not of an issue, but just more of a, a, a highlight, I think, for for Elizabeth and I as we try to parent well mm. and try to continue to develop intimacy and dialogue, you know, with our kids and an openness and a. And a mm -hmm. um, an authenticity, I guess, right? Well, you know, just even doing a thought experiment, so you're asking your daughter a question and you're looking at her. That's so you're look you're looking at her and you're saying, How was school today? versus you're looking away right. and looking at the ceiling or looking at a detail and and asking her, which is she more likely to be able to answer? Actually the one where you're looking away. 
because you're giving her the space and you're right. not right. there's so there's a kind of a pressure I think sometimes mm. when you're looking at someone and asking a direct question it can feel uh, almost aggressive or intrusive right. whereas right. if you're looking away even if they're looking at you they have a little bit of space yeah you, know? you would never you would probably never correct anyone or a child or a coworker or something by looking away it would be way more. It would be way more. Correct. Yes. Hey, would you look at me when I'm talking to you. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Look yeah. at me when I'm talking to you. Is is the unspoken thing sometimes yes. when yeah. you're looking at someone. Sure. Yeah. So so then in this infant observation, you're learning things about how we behave with others. Really, isn't yes, it? Yes. It's uh, well. I'm seeing a securely attached dyad. In other words, I'm seeing a, a good mother, good enough right. mother, right. Um, uh, who's not overly intrusive with her baby. Um, and uh, and it's it's just fascinating. It's 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 a fascinating thing to. I mean, I'm not a mother. Yeah. So even if I were, I mean, I have classmates in my infant observation class um, uh, who are parents, but they're still getting a lot out of observing a mother and an infant from the time that before the infant is born to see how um, how we learn mm. to be with an other. Because it's it goes both ways the baby mother relationship. Of course, it's much more the mother, but the baby also brings stuff to the table. The baby might be an extra sensitive being, like sense sensorily, or um, the baby might have you know um, uh, acid reflux or colic or you know there are all kind or or whatever developmental yeah. disability so babies bring something to the table right and so the back and forth the dyadic interchange how what what are you going to do when i do this and if the baby can figure it out if the baby knows what to expect when i do this you do this then you have the beginnings of a securely attached individual but if they can't predict what the other is what the mom is going to do if I do this, I don't know what mom's going to do. That that's the beginning of an insecurely attached dyad. How, how much of this do you think happens before the baby is born? You know the whole, uh, Some. you know, listening to music. And, oh, you know, I don't the, know the attitudes of the mother. You know the sense of humor. How is you know is that is that make a difference? Do you You're think? asking me nature versus nurture. Yeah, I am. That's exactly what I just wrote down. I want to get to nature and nurture. I don't know. Yeah. How much is... And how can we really? We right? can't, but we know that it's both nature yeah. and nurture. Yeah. Um, and we know this from twin studies where um, where we've got one, you know, two identical twins raised in totally different homes right. in different environments. And yet they have the same proclivities in certain areas or they have they move in the same way or they laugh in the same way. And that can't have been learned from their environment right um so but but how much yeah. i don't know yeah you know we don't know mm -hmm. i think for i don't know is this a is this a fair sort not a conclusion but an observation i suppose from your you know uh, doing an infant observation it's it's just uh, for me as a parent and as i hope uh, uh, a thoughtful uh, friend and human being um it really is important to to be aware <laughs> of everything we do yeah. i mean everything counts Right, every facial expression, every handshake, and every every hug of your mm. child. I think that's that. That sounds like anxiety to me. What you mm. just said, mm. because it's not every one that counts. It's the it's the preponderance. Right. It's not. Um, so it's the reason that two and a half minutes 
of face-to-face -face play for Beatrice um, can predict, you know, uh, the attachment styles because there's so many repetitions in that two and a half minutes okay. of, of certain ways of relating. And so it's not that one tra traumatic moment or one no or one, you know, temper tantrum by the parent is going to permanently scar the child. It's layers upon layers. It's, you know, many, 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 many. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I grew up with a, um, my mother used to speak to my brother and I through little uh, signs and, and notes that were on the fridge mm. uh, without actually you know, speaking to us about them, but would put these things up, and we knew that they they were really for us. Mm. You know, words of wisdom and, oh. and warnings and things. Warnings. I mm. think so. Mm. Uh, but one of them was everything we do. Everything we do affects someone else. Mm. And I just, I was that. I think was sort of the thought mm. I had that you know, be mindful. Be mindful of how we engage with others, how we interact. Yeah, it's um, so important. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and that, and it, and mm. that it, you know, um, every sort of thing matters in a way mm -hmm. you know every certainly every interaction seems to matter mm -hmm. um even you know grabbing a coffee at the local starbucks you know maybe not I don't know. <laughs> it can it can it, it can. can yeah mm -hmm. yeah so when you say it can you mean sort of um uh, not necessarily relevant yeah i mean i think i, I where my mind is going from what you're saying is you know treat the others well you treat others well yeah, we're we're you know. on autopilot so much, right? Right, right. and yeah. and so, but we can actually uh, have encounters through the day that do make other people feel better and us feel right. better, right? Um, like the, it's just smile. Yeah, right? I well, guess maybe, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's that that in itself. Hey, listen, then I, I, I don't think... practice it, so. so. <laughs> but then I think about all the times you know women are told to smile, and but no, I think it's be genuine. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. be present, yeah, sure. sort of be, be as present, much as right. possible. Yeah, you know, totally. but but don't tell yourself that you need to be present. Right, you know, I like see. don't put yes, pressure on yourself. Anxiety. Hence the anxiety, right, like, right, like good. you yeah. know, sort of like, like yeah, allow you yourself all, to I'm be. I'm not suggesting you have to always be up or anything like that. In yeah. fact, that's fr frankly a little nauseous for me when you yeah. meet folks that are constantly up. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. Well, it's not authentic. It doesn't. It can't seem to be. be. It can't be. Yeah. It's that that you know when is that a symptom? Right. When is that right. a defense? Right. So you can kind of feel it qualitatively right. when someone right. is kind of like, you know what I'm talking I about. I do, yeah. Um, sort of like artificially up. And that can, uh, that can itself be an indication that there's something that they can't be feeling right now. And then you respect that, but at the same time, it doesn't feel genuine maybe. Or, you know, you're not really connecting with that person. Could you say that, and I don't think I asked you this the last time around, but could you say that that, our mental health issues, our uh, you know psychotherapeutic issues, can be sort of not reduced. That's that's the wrong way to put it. But are connected to how we uh, play with others, how we work with others, how we mm -hmm. deal with others. Um, is you know it's how we interact. It comes down to a relational question. I think so. I think it does often come down to how we relate. Relational. I like your word play. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I know you used, you were using it playfully. Yes. Yeah, but I think yeah. it is um, about the ability to play. Yeah. The ability to, um, 
you know, I can't remember who said it, but but the idea that uh, therapy is kind of bringing someone from a state of not being able to play to being able hmm. to play, you know, and uh, and it, well, it can be that, right? Um, yeah, I think it it all comes down to relationships. I think, yes. Which then, including it? with ourselves, right? So right. our relationship right. with the other, our relationship with romantic partners, our relationship with friends, with family, with the world, with work, and with ourselves. Yeah. So, so I was with someone very recently who I would describe as totally not self-aware. Mm-hmm. Is that also a part of this conversation for, uh, I don't even know if you would use a phrase like good mental health or, uh, or balanced. I'm not even sure that... You might say not psychologically minded. Right. But without specifics, I couldn't. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but right. but that's a phrase that pops into my mind. Yeah, and I use that that very very carefully too, in a sense, because I'm not so sure I'm balanced, mm. right? And I'm not even sure I like the notion of balance mm. because to me mm. it sort of speaks of mediocrity, mm. you know, on well, a certain level. It's funny know? we were just talking before you turned the microphone on, but we were talking about this book that I picked up, um, which is Peter Ackroyd's biography of Blake from a million years ago, but um, I hadn't read it yet. And I love William Blake um, in part because, I mean, this is a man who, you know, was maybe not the picture of what we would consider mental health today, but one of the greatest poets in the English language, in part because he believed that you kind of had to go to another place to be creative. He called it um, generation, uh, sorry, he called it um, eternity, basically. So we live in generation, uh, mathematicians live in this other place that's sort of hell. He called it Ulro. He had names for everything. Hmm. Beulah is this sort of heavenly place where we kind of frolic about in this field. But then eternity is where the poets have to go. And that's sort of like the universe and, you know, kind of like this crazy heavenly place. And he went there. He would go there. Um, it's it's beyond heaven. It's it's where all create creativity sort of happens, right? Like re, like artistic creativity, yeah, yeah. It, so normal or balanced is great most of the time, but sometimes right. we have to go to another place. We have to go to an altered state. We have to dream. We have to play. Yeah. Well, and I wonder too if that's actually where, and I would imagine Blake would agree where discovery really happens mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. where where leap forwards leaps forward happen creatively disruptions happen. yeah creative creative disruptions whatever it is whether it's you know corporately or uh, in, in a school setting mm-hmm. or, or writing a poem mm-hmm. um you've got to have that sense i mean it's uh, the guy i did um michael planier i wrote my master's thesis on he, he spoke a, he was a scientist who became a philosopher and i'm mm. sure some of my listeners have, have heard me talk about about him before, but he wrote a book called Personal Knowledge, mm. and the whole idea was that uh, here is this chemist who comes to philosophy late in his life and said, hang on a second here, that's not how we do science. The way we talk about how we do science is not how we do science. We, we do science in a community. Mm. We rub shoulders. We rub elbows. Mm-hmm. We're very inexact. In fact, one of the first articles he ever wrote was called The Value of the Inexact, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's where discovery happens, mm-hmm. when you're not so focused on say, the experiment. Systematization. Yeah, and you're, yep. you're in the community. He called it conviviality, which I think is a beautiful way to talk about mm, that's it. That's nice. And we're talking about it, and all of a sudden, aha, okay, mm-hmm. I get it. Things come together. 
because mm-hmm. I've been living the language and living the life, I guess, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe as human beings, maybe maybe it is really, maybe, maybe play is that place. Yes, and I want to just um, say on behalf of uh, Blake that when he talks about Ulro and sort of mathematicians, that's where they live, he doesn't mean creative mathematicians. Mm. He means people who are sort of poring over exactitude and he's really kind of almost talking about um you know what we would think of as the the most caricatured uh accountant who's counting money you know so that's really what he's talking about he's saying he's saying if you don't give yourself room if you don't give yourself play then you're not going to um you're not going to have a good life that's what he's talking about yeah and is that can we can we make this really practical now and go work life balance? Yeah, it's so funny for me to think of that term in concert with William Blake. Yes, no, it doesn't. Because <laughs> I don't to... think he did no, have work life balance. Sure he worked all the time. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. What I mean when you're talking about balance, what does it mean for you? And I think yeah. that's yeah, one of the most important good. things as a as a therapist for me is to help people. Say what they mean by mm. the words that are uh, that resonate for them, because you'll find that people have buzzwords, but it doesn't mean for them what it means for you. Yeah, sure. And so, to get people to kind of speak it's their good. personal poetry yeah. um, is really it's important, nice. and that's really what you're helping people to do. Maybe is to put things into words for what might be the first time some unformulated experience mm-hmm. or something that they don't quite understand. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're mm-hmm. helping them to do. You spend a lot of time asking questions. No, absolutely no, not. Don't. No, absolutely. Okay. And it's funny because we were talking about questions earlier, yeah. right? And yeah, I said, yeah. okay, so we ask Elizabeth, your daughter, a direct question. Right. What does she yep. do? I don't know. Fine. Okay. Right. Whatever. Right. 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 Yeah. But also, yeah. um, questions don't necessarily lead to answers, mm. and answers are not cures for questions. And so. I help people to find out what their questions are for themselves, but to ask someone a question can be very aggressive or intrusive Hmm. or leading or um, it can feel like a criticism. It can, you know, there are many reasons not to, I mean, that doesn't mean that I'm not interrogative in my approach, but, um, and I'll do a lot of this. Hmm. Hmm. You know, (laughs) as an analyst, you don't say a lot, but... um, Asking a direct question is uh, often more about me and my own curiosity getting that sated than about sort of helping the patient find their own answers. So it's about space. Yeah. yeah and we did talk about, I think, listening last space time a fair bit. And that, to play. Oh, I've got to be honest with you. I think whenever I shut down face to face, whenever I stop doing the podcast, which I hope won't be for quite some time, mm. I'm coming up on 300 interviews, a little plug wow. there. Um, <laughs> but it really is about listening. And I got a mm. wonderful uh, compliment just a couple of days ago. Wow, David, you let your guests speak. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that was great for me because I think as a development worker, as a philosopher, I think it, you know, we want to give people the answers. Mm. Oh, here I've got I've got the program for your community. Mm. This is going to sort everything out. It's, mm. it's going to make sense for you, you know, or whatever. As a parent, I think um, mm. we're uncomfortable, right? I think um, one of the one of the biggest complaints I heard about about Manchester by the Sea, you know, the Oscar winner was it didn't end. Mm. Well, it did end, but it didn't go anywhere. And well, people don't it? like uncertainty. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, so so why didn't it resolve? You know, and even. 
I, I kind of thought we were used to that now. <laughs> Aren't we postmoderns? No. We, we like certainty. Uncertainty makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's sort yeah. of the, the only certainty. Right. And, and yeah. Yeah. so that's the other, you know, sort of part of, of therapy or analysis is, you know, allowing people to kind of get to a place where they're more comfortable with being uncertain. Um, and sometimes people will come in and they'll say, I don't know what I think about anything. And my response to that is, that's an excellent place to start. Because if you come in feeling like you do know about something really, like you do know what's going on, chances are we've got to get you out of that mm. rigid thinking to right. another narrative. Right. right. You know, right. so when people come in not knowing, it's actually a better starting place sometimes than knowing. Do you think, uh, you know, answer this however, and I know you will, but do you think the majority of your clients, your patients, your friends, throw me in here, are, mm -hmm. are looking for solutions? So I've done enough therapy over the years, you know, marital and singles and all these different types of mm. um, counseling and so on. When you walk through the door, are you hoping for that? Okay, David, here's what you need. Here are the three things you need to do. You know, because we see that so much, right? I think people, some people do come in saying, you know, I basically, I'm unhappy, I don't know why, and I, my goal is to be happy in sort of 10 sessions or less. That's a bit of a caricature, right. but... Which would be cognitive-based therapy in a way, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, I sort mean... It's, it's like to retrain yourself. Here's how you retrain yourself. Yeah, to... CBT can be good for some habits, although right. Right. it's habit-forming in some ways because you need to come back. Um, right. But... Uh, you know, in fact, the kind of the modality that I do and the reason that I um, I love it so much, psychodynamic psychotherapy or psychoanalytic psychotherapy or psychoanalysis, is that it, it doesn't give people answers. It gives people the tools to find their own answers, to question right. themselves, to query themselves, to stop themselves in a certain moment and say, okay, what's going on for me here? Um, why am I having an overblown reaction to this? Oh, yeah, it's this thing. That That's a lifelong... Mm -hmm. Ability. That's a skill set that you're you're helping someone. That's a function that you're helping someone internalize. The, the right, function right. of being a person who holds the space in a certain way to allow certain kinds of thinking to take place that you know that hasn't taken place. So, yes, people come in. They say, "Can you help me in ten sessions or less?" And I say, "I don't work that way." Mm. I want people who come to me um, who've Googled existential despair basically right. therapist right. plus therapist plus toronto that's what you plus know or Camus. <laughs> <laughs> i'm currently reading the myth of sisyphus can you help me right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's uh, sort of my my ideal patient that doesn't right. mean that i don't see people who have all different kinds sure, of sure. um issues and so you want a, you want a degree of authenticity before almost isn't that interesting i think that's what i'm hearing it it you know, I, I, will, I will work with people who maybe aren't as psychologically minded right. as we're talking about yeah. to, to, make, to perhaps help them to become more so. Um, but it's not really my uh, expertise. Right. My expertise right. is in a certain way of listening to a certain kind of suffering. Um, and so, I, so part of the journey for me in becoming a therapist um, is knowing my own limitations, knowing when it's time to send somebody like because i do free consults like mm. i see people um at no charge and then i will either 
we will either decide to work together because it feels good, or um, I will send them to s someone so, in my else. someone right. who I believe in. Right. Um, right. Or right. I will say, you know what? I don't know anyone with that particular area of expertise. So here's here's what I suggest. Right. Right. Um, and help people. That's where my research background comes right, in handy, right? right? Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, knowing my own limitations, knowing knowing the patients who are um, who will benefit most from what I bring to the table. Yeah, I think I live a pretty healthy life. I uh -huh. think I'm uh, fairly balanced, whatever that means. And you know, everyone now knows I don't like the word, um, but <laughs> relatively decent family, good family, great family. Um, mm -hmm active read you know lots of uh, lots of uh, um, you know interesting variables in my life but there's things that really still bother me you know from a from a mental health perspective mm. from a, I don't like being lonely I, I, I still feel lonely from time to time right mm. and so I think what I'm hearing is mm. that um, that's okay that's right? okay it's totally okay this is the way kind of it is supposed to be that's part of human that's experience part of who we are so don't mm. come looking for that one book or two books mm. or, you know, you're going to find it in, you know, you're going to find it through the poetry of William Blake, mm. right? Mm. And through conversation and mm. owning pets and things. And also sometimes being alone. And sometimes being alone. And, right? and I think that's the other thing that's, that, that people find helpful about therapy, the kind of therapy that I um, do is, you know, a lot of people are told from a very early age, maybe not explicitly, but... Um, you know, implicitly mm -hmm. or non-verbally, that their feelings are bad. Right. So, so that it's bad to be afraid, it's bad to be sad, it's bad to be mad. Only mummy can be mad. Only mummy can, you know. Right. And so people people think, oh my God, I'm sad. It's awful. I have to stop this. It's terrible. I'm a ter what? Something's, Something's really wrong. wrong. Yep. As opposed to, okay, our emotions are important data, really important data to tell us about what's going on in the world around us or in us. And we need them. We, we want them. We want the full spectrum. We don't want just a little slice, you know? And, and um, you know, can you imagine? Like, I, I know people do, but can you imagine being happy all the time? I mean, I'm just exhausted <laughs> thinking about it. You know, like, funny. and it's not even possible. It's not even possible. I think that sounds like a bumper sticker campaign to me. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. For more information, please call. That's very, can you imagine being happy all the time? The happiness, anti-happy hotline. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The, yeah. yeah. It's interesting you say, you know, searching existential angst, you know, those... Mm. I'm pretty sure most existentialists would say that a lot of our issues are the fact that we aren't rooted enough in others, mm. right? The whole mm. idea of getting to know ourselves is mm. through others and how we interact. And I don't mean that in a negative way at all. I mean, totally positive, total, like the mirror, right? The, well, that's and, right. And also the look comes mm. into play as well, which is really interesting. Well, and know? it goes right back to what we learned from babies. And, right. the, and the baby learns what it feels. It learns what's going on inside. It learns who it is, what it is through the mother's face through the mother's reflection of itself. So if the mother's um, Im uh, face, facial expression, sort of matches, not, not ex an exact match, but sort of plays with the baby, it's called cross-modal matching, sort hmm. of plays with the baby's um, emotions or you know the woe face that mother gives back to baby when baby's sad. Right. Baby goes, oh, I'm sad. Oh, that's what I'm Interesting. feeling. 
And people who haven't had that kind of mirroring have a really hard time being with the other, hmm. looking even at the other. Cross-modal matching, did you say? Mm, Cross-modal matching, yeah. So it's almost um, almost as if, uh, when you, so the baby sort of almost implicitly says, this is what it means to be sad when I see a facial expression like that? Is that, is that what oh, you Oh, I'm or? sad. I'm sad. Oh, I'm sad. This is how I feel. I, this is what I'm showing because this is what's being that's, reflected that's back. Not, um, that's not pushing them into some sort of structure. That's actually giving them the freedom to feel that yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Right. And so, so, for example, if you have a mother who has, you know, sort of unresolved loss, trauma, abuse, and can't tolerate sadness, unhappiness in the baby, she's going to possibly give the baby a facial expression she doesn't even know she's doing it of contempt, disgust, anger, or this sort of fake smile, which is totally not um, matching up with what the baby's feeling. It's very confusing, and it's hmm. the beginning of sort of um, disorganized attachment. If the mother's expression does not accurately reflect what's going on in the baby because she can't tolerate it. The, when I say disorganized attachment, I'm talking about the roots of psychopathology, the roots of madness are right there in the mother's inability hmm. to reflect the baby's face back to the baby. The baby's well, affect. Well, and it kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier about um, the, the, the the implicit things that we learn along the way yeah. about our feelings, yeah. right? So if it's it kind of connects a little bit to everything's kind of important, like the facial yeah. expressions, even right? Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, um, and what's really cool to me, I love the connections, and this this is kind of Michael Polanyi. Ah. Ta this is this is tacit. So the mother indwells a particular way of being that has an impact on those around her. Most importantly. Her kids, yeah. her babies. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, and the babies internalize the mother. Right. And so, you know, you've got your mom in there in your mind and in many different forms. So she can berate you or she can soothe you or she can, you know, um, they're, they're, all the mothers are in there. Yeah. You know? Where does where does dad play into this? Dad too. Yeah, yeah. Dad too. Not as it, much, I would imagine. Well, it depends sense. on how, when, when we talk about mothers... We're in in this conversation. We're sort of using an old model, but it's yeah, really sure. it's really the um, whoever the primary attachments are, and right. usually it's the mother, but yeah. more increasingly yeah. so, it's yeah. the dad. Yeah. Um, but when we're talking about infants, you know, first four to six months of life, often it is the mother who is the the sort of primary face. She becomes the other. At first, she's just a bunch of parts, you know, um, but she becomes sort of the first other. Yeah, whole other. Um, we're going to have to wrap it up in a few minutes. Are you writing a book? No. And if not, why not? <laughs> About? No. I mean, I just actually finished writing an article that's my first uh, published academic article. Oh, neat. So that's kind of fun. But no, I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's a book in me when I'm... Um, oh, I bet there is. 90. So, <laughs> yeah. I hope it's before you're 90. <laughs> Unless you're, you know, you know, uh, telling me something I don't know. You've written books, yes? I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've published uh, Real Change as Incremental, mm -hmm. and then I, I co-edited a book uh, on uh, a series of essays on philosophy and theology, actually, and how they either interact or don't interact with a, a friend of mine, Jason Robinson. That's so neat. Well. 
Yeah, I've got, I hope I have a few others in me. I've got a couple things I'm working on. My problem is I just, you know, always new ideas about things to write about and start mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And then it's really, uh, writing is, is hard. Writing is hard. Let's talk about, wow, come full circle about self-awareness. <laughs> I think that's the worst part of it is, mm. holy smokes, I have to share this with somebody. Mm. I'm not sure I'm open to that. Yeah, and it's I frightening. think for me, I think that's really what it comes down to. And then just all the regular insecurities, you know, I think that mm-hmm. most writers must feel, I'm sure Blake dealt with it too. I'm in good company. So let me ask you one more thing. Yes, yes. You talked about different modalities that you've tried in therapy. Yes. You haven't been on the couch four uh, times a week on the couch, have you? You know what? It's a very good question. I don't think so. And when you say the couch, you mean in a, a couch. Lying down lying on down the couch. And looking away. Looking away, That's looking at the ceiling. That's more of a perspective, correct? Well, it's a psychoanalytic perspective. Psychoanalytic, thank you. Um, hmm. I'd have to think about that. Maybe, maybe with a hypnotherapist that I saw 30 years ago in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so, full on yeah. sort of um, on the couch four times a week psychoanalysis hasn't been something that you've tried yet. No, I probably did a, I probably did a Monday, Wednesday, Friday for several mm-hmm. months, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and kind of eventually like any kind of consistent sort of thing like that that usually goes by the wayside at some point mm-hmm. and then it would be more sporadic oh i'm going to go for two months and it'll be every friday at two mm. you know but no i think the short answer is no okay <laughs> I, I can see see this direct question i asked and how much anxiety you you're came so up. aggressive <laughs> and you went oh my god oh my god what the hell but is she doing i'm I, supposed to be interviewing her i i'm asking you and i'm asking your unconscious yeah, to kind of play yeah, with it sure. you know because yeah. it's it's something that can be so beneficial not you don't have to be mentally ill you don't <laughs> have to be unbalanced to in hear. fact it's you you yeah. people who are really sort of not um stable enough it's not good for them necessarily to go on the couch right. you have to be um yeah. at a certain uh right. level yep. of stability to do that yeah well and i think what i love about the question and what it's going to make me reflect on is that um, opportunity for discovery mm. and the space and that whole idea of play yeah. because it's a kind of play that maybe if I have uh, uh, been through it, it's been a long time yeah. and wouldn't it be interesting to revisit it mm. 25 years later? Yeah. What, what I know now, how mm-hmm. is that going to change, you know, that kind of an experience? So, yeah. um, well, it changed yeah. my life. Yeah, I bet. And of course, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Right, right. Um, yeah. Uh, so no book, uh, but you've written. An, what's next? Are you working on any films? I know you're. You I'm know. working on the film with Beatrice um, on infant research and adult treatment, and I'm working on a film with my um, colleague uh, and very good friend Phyllis Ellis uh, about the Halibu indigeneity and identity. It's about the mm-hmm. Mi'kmaq people of Newfoundland and their fight to get status uh, for the first time. Um, and uh, who knows what else? Wow. Yeah, lots of stuff. A lot of things going on. Well, thanks for your time today. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to part three already. <laughs> what will we talk about? Will we? Oh, I'm sure <laughs> we'll find something. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.